The next story that we're going to go to uh, here on the JSB, where we look at so many diverse stories about how we use culture and how we join the dots in very broad ecosystems. This is a story that came out in the conversation um, at an, a website which looks at academic uh, conversations and academic discussions and academic papers, but then also tries to understand more profoundly how will they engage in society more broadly. Now, Dr. Peter Kamani is a professor of practice at the Aga Khan University, the Graduate School of Media and Communications in uh, Kenya, in Nairobi. And he has been participating in the staging um, of a sold-out production of the Ngugi Wationgi um, production called I Will Marry When I Want. That's the English title. There is um, a title in its uh, original language, which I'll ask uh, Dr. Kimani to explain to us. But what's critical about it is that it's a play that has had enormous impact on both the author Ngugi Wationgo, but also it's illuminated how the nation has moved and fared in the last years with regards to democracy. Dr. Peter Kamani, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Dr. Kamani, we were really interested in this story because in many ways this is a space where we look at how a theatre production talks to so much more than just being a theatre production. It talks to the history of a country, it talks to the impact that the production had for the author, and it talks to where the country is at right now. So perhaps you could take us back to the original version and explain to us where we are many years later, 45 years later. Absolutely. All right. So the original play uh, was composed in Gikoyo. Gikoyo is an indigenous language one of the 46 languages that are distinct and um, uh, very unique uh, in its positioning. So spoken by nearly some 10, uh, 10 million Kenyans in a, con- a country of 50 million. So it's uh, the dominant language in that regard. Mm. And um, the reason uh, this was a unique intervention by Ngugi, one of the foremost African writers of his generation, was that yeah. um, he was defying a variety of barriers, uh, one of them being the elitism. Uh, you know, we, we spoke of the ivory tower uh, to show the disconnect between uh, the, the academy and the people that they purport to write about. So Google was trying to defy the colonial education that they'd received, uh, where English is used as a medium of instruction hmm. uh, and uh, which prepares you uh, or at least in its, in its original construct, uh, to perpetuate the the service of the colonial empire. So you are taught as a as a teacher. I mean, uh, you are taught to be a a, a craftsman. Uh, but um, so Ngugi's uh, you know position then as an and as an academic, he was a chair of the department of English when he was staging this play. Uh, returning to the village where he grew up. Uh, mobilizing peasants and ordinary workers to contribute to the uh, formulation of the play was uh, was breaking those barriers between the academy and the people that they they write about or comment about or interrogate. Uh, so his choice of language was a political choice to start with. Yeah. And um, yeah. 
You know, I, I just want just that idea of the choice of language. I read um, uh, and part of the interview where he said that he has no doubt that if he had written that play in English, uh, he would potentially not have been in jail. He would potentially not have uh, had the pushback from government that he had. And how interesting that the choice of language is something that can be so fired up in terms of democracy, in terms of a lack of democracy and the like. Absolutely. I mean, uh, so uh, so to build on the, the, the assertion that uh, he wants to uh, to break this barrier between the academy and the people, um, yeah. he, he, he's spoken oft, often about his own uh, frustration that his own mother, uh, who was, uh, you know, illiterate, she couldn't read or write, and uh, he's written about her, her role in his own education. Um, he was simply saying he wanted to 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 draw from this um, you know reserve of knowledge, uh, and, and 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 once more there is a deeper a deeper assertion there that knowledge is not confined in a language. Uh, so so one's mastery of English doesn't make them any better than the ordinary person who can master and 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 convey knowledge in their own language. But yeah. there is, uh, of course, Ngogi has, has written extensively about this, uh, this choice. Um, uh, he, he has uh, a book called Decolonizing the Mind, in which yeah. he articulates this uh, a little deeply. So, so the, the politics of language, um, if uh, we, may, we, we may drill down a little, is that um, it's not just a linguistic expression. It's the embodiment of what a society is or aspires to be. We convey who we are through stories. Those stories yes. are coded in certain languages. Those languages convey the wisdom borne by generations of people who speak that language. So, so in other words, there's, there is a whole uh, political economy uh, of language. And um, so, so his choice of uh, you know, writing a play, remember in 1977, Ngugi had been publishing for 15 years. He had written maybe for four books, uh, all in English at that time. And the first play that he does uh, in, in, in the language lands him in detention uh, without trial. Remember, this is, uh, um, you know, the, the colonial uh, constitution that Kenya inherited in 1963. By 1977, we hadn't changed our constitution. It was still the same document used to govern the people, um, you know, through the 70 years of British occupation of Kenya. And uh, he, was, he was detained without trial and subsequently denied employment in his country. So uh, ultimately, you know, that forced him into exile. So it was, it, it was a turning point in a variety of ways. So not only does uh, he get to reassess his position as a writer who is engaged with uh, issues of the day, but also is denied, uh, you know, livelihood in his own country. And uh, he's been in exile ever since. Dr. Kimani, um, the book, the, the, the play that uh, has just been produced, um, I'm, I'm, my apologies, I don't know how, if I'm saying the name correctly, Ngahika Ndienda, I Will Marry When I Want. Perhaps you can uh, say the name better than me. I'm sure you can. Um, but it's now being performed again. And I'm... I would love to sit in that audience. I mean, how are those audiences responding? Do you get a sense of the history of the play? 
and the the back history as well to it as well. Right. Yeah. So Gahika Deda. Uh, that's the proper way of pronouncing it. Gahika uh, Deda. Yeah. Gahika Deda. The end yeah. tend to be silent in your quill. Ah. Um, okay. Was 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 remarkably remarkably produced by director Stuart, Stuart Nash, uh, yeah. who is a British uh, producer based in Kenya. And yeah. uh, what was remarkable is that um, you know in a country where seventy five percent of the population is under thirty five, the age of thirty five, the play is forty five years old. So we can say <laughs> presumably ninety percent of uh, the audience uh, weren't Don't born merge. when the play was uh, was performed. Yeah. Um, and what was remarkable was the the connection that the the audience drew for me. Of course, there were mature people who may have been born and uh, you know alive and well, um, but um, it was it was uh, a, a musical adaptation of the original, and uh, so they still stuck the text even with this adaptation that um, created a bridge to this audience to the history. You you find echoes of Kenya's freedom struggle, echoes of, uh, you know, Mau Mau, the liberation, the armed uh, resistance uh, to British yeah. occupation in Kenya. Uh, the songs were remarkably produced, the choreography, the singing, um, they did a, a, an excellent job. So so, so what, what I think the director, um, you know, spoke, he, he said he was very surprised to see a variety of audiences, young and old expatriates, and you know, villagers coming from far-flung villages in in Kenya, was that um, 45 years on, the play remains as relevant to this day as it was 45 years ago, and uh, yeah. it's not just a Kenyan context. Um, he said, and I can say, uh, you know, myself, the connection between social inequities, uh, class uh, struggles. Um, appear to be festering today more than they did perhaps 45 years ago. And uh, it's not just a Kenyan uh, struggle, perhaps. You might say that's true of South Africa. You might say that's true mm. of Zimbabwe. Might be true of, uh, you know, the UK. Uh, and uh, they might have different flavorings. They might be grounded in different, um, uh, you know, struggles. But they convey the same genesis. That um, those who have and those who have nothing Appear to be, uh, you know, at odds, uh, and 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 the stark, uh, the 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 contrast could be more stark today than they were 45 years ago. So, Dr. Kamani, we unfortunately need to go, but I would like to add that uh, a little later on in the show, we're talking to the cast and director of a production of uh, Brecht's uh, "The Good Soul of Sichuan," and it seems to me that so much of those the topics that are coming out of that Brecht production are covered in this particular production of uh, Gugi Wationgo as well. So it just seems to draw some very beautiful lines and join some very beautiful dots as well. Thank you so much for joining us. That's Dr. Peter Kimani, Professor of Practice at the Aga Khan University of the Graduate School of Media and Communications, writing about a fantastic production that sounds like it's taking place currently of a play that has was originally written 45 years ago when it was banned and the author was, in fact, detained. And you can see that article further in the conversation. I mean, one could do an entire show just about these kinds of stories and how they all link together. It's 930